0: Good afternoon, everyone. Happy Sunday. It's always a pleasure to be with you on Sunday afternoon here at Bentley Commons. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we have our message. Father, thank you for another beautiful day of life and all the rain you keep giving us. Our gardens and our lawns are very green. And Lord, you are the author of all life. We praise you for that. But most importantly, in the spirit world, Father, thank you for sending Jesus to go to the cross to die for our sins, for being the propitiation, the payment for the wrath that is due our sins. And also, Jesus, thank you for being faithful and doing your Father's will. And Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit being with us, that you would guide my tongue, forgive the sin in my life, that your word is not hindered in the spirit world. And also, Lord, that you would bless us today as we look at your word from this chapter 16 of Matthew. And Lord, bless each one of the souls that are here And anybody who might be listening to this, and we ask all of this in your name, Jesus, the name above all names, we love you, God. Amen. Today's message is entitled, The Cross and Self-Denial, but it could quite easily be called The Cross, a Rebuke, and the Judgment, because as we see, as we read these verses, God lays out that the cross... He was predestinated to go there, that it was foreordained by the Father before the beginning of time. But man in the flesh doesn't want, for example, Peter did not want Jesus to die, and he almost started to argue with Jesus that he didn't have to do that, and the Lord had to rebuke him. And then it goes on to say several verses that discuss the judgment that is impending for all of us and we will look at that today. So the text verses for today are Matthew chapter 16 verses 21 through 28. Matthew 16 verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders And chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But Jesus turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. For thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. There's a quote on your handout and it's from a very famous theologian. He's passed already. His name is John Stott. What John Stott said about the cross is that before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. In other words, Jesus died on the cross to pay the death penalty, the sin penalty, for us. However, we must also understand that as sinners, our sins are what sent Jesus to the cross. And Jesus had to bear that in order for us to enter into the kingdom and to be able to go to heaven When we die, we're going to look at three points today. The first point is the necessity of the cross and the rebuke of Peter. The second point today is the Christian's duty of self denial is tied to God's eternal rewards. And the third point, the last point today, is we will look at the judgment seat of Christ and how that applies to that very interesting verse Matthew 16:28 where Jesus says to this great crowd some of you standing here will not taste of death until you see the son of man coming in his kingdom so we're going to look at a brief interpretation of that very important verse from scriptures the first point today the necessity of the cross and the rebuke of peter Matthew 16:21 From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Jesus is speaking to his apostles here. This is approximately four months before his death and he's outlining He's actually giving them a prophecy that he will go to Jerusalem. And this verse has eight specific prophecies in one verse. It says he will go to Jerusalem. He will suffer many things. He was crucified. He was scourged. They put a crown of thorns on him. And he said he would suffer many things of the elders, the Sanhedrin, the chief priest, that was also part of the Sanhedrin, the scribes, and that he would be killed. He wouldn't simply be scourged, he would be killed. And that he would be raised again. And specifically, it would be the third day. Now why did Jesus have to go to the cross? If he didn't go to the cross, our sin penalty would not be paid. Matthew twenty nineteen says, And shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. So this verse adds more context. It says Pilate will deliver Jesus to the Gentiles, to the Roman soldiers, and they will scourge and crucify Jesus. But on the third day he did rise, praise God. Matthew 26:54 says, But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? In other words, these scriptures... All the way back to Genesis, where God had prophesied Jesus going to the cross and crushing Satan's head. All the way back to that point in time, all the scriptures of the Old Testament are filled with Jesus going to the cross. And Isaiah 53, all of that chapter deals with Jesus going to the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All of these verses deal with Jesus, and they were written hundreds, and in Genesis' case, thousands of years before Jesus was born. John chapter 2, 18 and 19. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he's first in dialogue and discussions, preaching his sermons and reading in the synagogue, and the Jews approach him. And he said, Then answered the Jews and said unto Jesus, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus was preaching near the temple. The temple was 1,000 feet on one side. That's more than three football fields. Imagine how long that is. And Jesus said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. And, of course, they mocked and ridiculed him. But he wasn't talking about that physical structure which took many, many, many years to build. He was talking about his physical body that when they killed him on the cross, he would come back to life on Easter. 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This is why Jesus had to go to the cross For us. The Father sent him to be the Savior of the world. Matthew 16, 22, back to our text verses for today. Peter is listening to Jesus. It says Peter took him, perhaps by the arm to pull him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. Peter and the other apostles, they thought Jesus, of course, as the Messiah, would conquer Rome and elevate Israel back to the status when King David was on the throne. But see, Jesus was not talking about an earthly kingdom, even though he will reign for 1,000 years when he comes back. Jesus is primarily concerned with the spiritual kingdom. So he had to go to the cross. Isaiah 55, 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. When we think about the plan of salvation, God sent his son to die for human beings that are sinners, who mocked him, who scorned him, who spit on him. That is a love that we cannot transcend to understand. So the Bible says God's thoughts are way above our thoughts. Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 7. This is speaking of when Jesus will go to the cross. Awake, O sword. Awake, the means to kill Jesus. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. And against the man that is my fellow. This is Jesus. saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd. That means kill the shepherd. And the sheep shall be scattered. And I will turn my hand upon the little ones. Then the Lord will guide us. The Bible says my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That's a promise. Mark chapter 10 verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. A ransom is something you pay to get a hostage free. We are the hostages of sin and death. God is our ransom at the judgment seat, the great transaction. And because of Jesus' blood, our sins are washed, they're covered. Hebrews 13.5, let your conversation be without covetousness. Remember last week when we went over the proverb of the, the rich fool? His sin was greediness and covetousness, which is idolatry. This verse says, let your conversation, conversation is your way of life. It's not just the words you speak. It's your attitude and your manner, your disposition. Let your conversation be without covetousness which is idolatry, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So when Jesus went to the cross, Zachariah says God's hands were put upon the little ones, the children of God. And this verse is teaching us that no matter what we go through, Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. Back to the text verse. Matthew 16, verse 23. This is Jesus now turning to Peter to rebuke Peter. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So Jesus is looking right at Peter, and he says, Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan. Peter was not possessed with Satan like Judas was at the Last Supper where Satan entered into him. But Peter was speaking from a worldly point of view. He wanted Jesus to be the king on a physical throne and perhaps the 12 apostles would have certain privileges and powers. But Jesus is saying, get thee behind me, Satan, because Satan's way is the way of the world the way of the lost. Acts 2.23 This is talking about Jesus and how he went to the cross and how it was all planned by God. Him, him being Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. You have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. This is Peter speaking to the Jewish leaders. And he's pointing the finger right at them. You by wicked hands have crucified Jesus. You have murdered him. You have slain him. And Jesus had to go to the cross. And that's why he had to rebuke Peter. Romans 8 verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit The things of the Spirit. Peter was minding things of the flesh. He wanted Jesus to be on the throne. That is a carnal attitude. That's a worldly attitude. It was not a spiritual position that he was taking. He was minding the things of the flesh and not minding the things of the Holy Spirit. Romans 11, verse 34 For who has known the mind of the Lord? or who has been his counselor when we were growing up each one of us in this room we had great advice from our parents our grandparents perhaps our if we had brothers and sisters that were older we would always have somebody to turn to that we could seek advice on important issues in life god is saying who's my counselor i have no counselor i know everything i'm omniscient titus chapter 2 verse 14 speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Now peculiar, that means different. It doesn't mean necessarily strange. But remember, we're just passing through this world. Our world is Our sight, our hope is in heaven. The second point today the Christian's duty of self denial is tied directly to God's eternal rewards. If you remember two weeks ago when we went over the parable of the laborers, the point of that parable was that eternal life is given to anybody if they're seven, if they're 37, 57, or 77. When you get saved, we all receive acceptance and means into the kingdom of heaven. However, each one of us will receive different rewards based on how we have served Jesus in his kingdom. And that's really what we're looking at here. Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus is saying we have to deny our physical flesh which wants to sin. Remember, Moses, when he forsake Egypt, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the children of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The flesh wants to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a very short season. But remember, seasons change. And here Jesus is saying, deny your sinful flesh and take up your cross. We know from history, when you take a cross, it's painful. People suffered on a cross and ultimately, most people died when they were put on a cross. So we have to die to our sin and flesh and live for the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you we can look at the bible timeline and the great men of God were persecuted throughout history starting with Abel who was murdered by his brother Cain all of the great prophets were persecuted and Jesus says blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake or falsely accused for my name's sake because great is your reward in heaven. Matthew 10, verse 38. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. That's a strong statement. Jesus is saying if you don't want to take up a cross and follow me, You're not worthy of me. You're not worthy of the kingdom of God. Romans 8, verse 36. As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. In the spirit world, there will be many demonic forces of evil that will fight us as we advance the kingdom of God. God says there will be certain people who will be martyred. It says they will be killed. They are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And this is happening every day in northern Africa. This is happening in other countries where ISIS is killing Christians. There are Christians being persecuted today in India. In many of the countries... Christians are being persecuted and they are physically dying but they will receive the martyr's crown. They will have a special blessing of the Lord in heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 8 and 9. This is speaking about all the ways that Christians can be traumatized in the spirit world. We are troubled on every side yet not distressed. We are perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. We see that when we're troubled, that's an emotional strain. When we're perplexed and not in despair, that's a mental activity. Persecuted, that's physical. And cast down, but not destroyed, that's being attacked, our soul in the spirit world. But we're not destroyed. We will not taste the second death. When we die, our soul to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on the things on the earth. Our affections are the things that we love and cherish. God says don't put your love and affection, the things you cherish, here on the earth. Put them in heaven. That's where the real value for God and what He cherishes is at. Back to our text verse, Matthew 16, verse 25. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. That's kind of like flipping the idea on its ear. When we have danger, we tried to escape to save ourselves and yet god is saying if you apply that in the spirit world you're going to lose your soul into hell you have to lose yourself for jesus sake in order to find eternal life do you see how that verse goes whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it second corinthians adds to this. It says, for our light affliction. This is Paul speaking. Perhaps he suffered more for the cross, for the advancement of the gospel to the Gentiles than any person who's ever lived. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. If we were to suffer on the earth, For even 50 or 60 or 70 years, that would be a long time from an earthly perspective. But when you think about eternity, 50 years compared to a million years, is not so much. 50 years compared to a billion years is hardly anything at all. 50 years compared to a trillion, it's like one grain of sand and eternity is trillions upon trillions of billions of years our suffering on the earth no matter how long it is in this lifetime is insignificant in the big picture and that's what paul is teaching us here the next verse second corinthians 4:18 while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporary But the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul is emphasizing everything you can see is going to pass. This building someday will be raised and they'll build a new one. Our bodies will go into the grave. And even at the end of the time, God is going to destroy this heaven and earth and create a new heaven and a new earth. The only things that are permanent are everything we can't see. Our words, our thoughts, our soul. Most importantly, our soul is eternal. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with Jesus, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Remember, Jesus said, if you confess him on earth, he will confess you before the Father and before the angels. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Because Christ suffered and died on the cross, he suffered for our sins. And God says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. All of these things that lead you into sin, mortify them, put them away from you, cast them off. Back to our text verse, Matthew 16, verse 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Let's say you were back in 21 years old and you were going to be industrious and see how much real estate you could control in Lynchburg. And you started out with one rental property Then you saved up enough and you could buy a whole block. And perhaps this is only imaginary, but you owned all of Lynchburg. And then you were so successful, you owned all of Virginia. And then you were really successful and you owned all of America. And then North America. And then you went out and bought every property on every continent in all the world. You owned the whole world. God is saying here, What would you be profited if you gained all of this world, but you lost your soul? And then the last part of that verse says, what can you give in exchange for your soul? You could say to God, look, I own the whole world. Can I give you this in exchange for my soul? And God would say, no. There's nothing that you can give in exchange for your soul except the precious blood that Jesus shed. And you have to believe that through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's paramount in your decision with Christ. Let's look at a few verses that deal with this. In the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 49, verses 6 and 7. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom. For him, There's no amount of money that you can give to a charity to negotiate with God to allow you into heaven. And yet so many people that lead wicked lives, they will leave a great sum of money in their will to a church. It's almost like they're bribing God to allow them into heaven. And this psalm says no, that will never work out that way. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. Now this is talking about the world systems. Remember, if you gain the whole world, you cannot exchange that for your soul. Ephesians chapter 2 says, wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Before we were saved, we walked in that pattern of sin, in those footsteps of sin. And we were children of disobedience. When you were raising your children, you did not want them to disobey you. In fact, you would discipline them if they did that. God says before we were saved, we were all children of disobedience. And when we got saved, we renounced the world system. This is from the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Did any of you men ever wrestle in school? I was on the wrestling team one year, and when you wrestle, you expend so much energy in those little three-minute increments. And it's amazing how difficult it is to wrestle, especially if you're intent upon winning. God says here, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness. This is demonic, this is satanic, and that's what we wrestle with in the spirit world. We need to put on the whole armor of Christ and stay close to Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17, through 17, this tells about the lusts of the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. Everything in this world system, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and the world system is going to pass away. God's going to destroy this. This earth is cursed. That's why he will make and create a new heaven and a new earth. And Satan and the demons will be cast into the lake of fire. The third point today, this is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Back to our text verse, Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels And then he shall reward every man according to his works. See, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming again. We've all sung that song so many times. It's a basic Bible truth. We are waiting for the return of our Messiah King, Jehovah Jesus. He will come again. And he will come in the glory of his Father. Do you see? He's not coming alone, he's coming with his angels. And what's his purpose? To reward every man according to his works. Now, this isn't a reward necessarily good, because if it's a lost soul, these are the rewards for the sins of unrighteousness that they will have earned. But for the Christian who's serving the Lord, these are rewards at the Bemis seat judgment that they will have to give back to the Father throughout eternity. Let's look at a several verses that deal with this. The first verses here are from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel was written approximately 700 years before Christ. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the Ancient of Days did sit. This is Daniel seeing in a vision. And he's seeing Jesus coming back, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool, his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. The Bible says in Revelation there's over 100 million angels. This will be an awesome sight. And do you see how many times these verses stress fire, fiery fire? The Bible says God is a consuming fire. And in the spirit world, nobody can stand before that consuming fire unless God has given them a glorified body. And you will only receive a glorified body if you're a Christian through faith. Jude chapter 1, verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these sayings. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. So, not only will the angels come when Jesus comes back, us saints will also come with him. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. This is at the great white throne judgment. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So do you see our text verse says, God will reward every man according to his works. And all of these verses deal with God rewarding us according to our works. The parable of the laborers was about salvation. This verse is dealing with rewards based upon works, which is different than salvation. Salvation gives you entry into the kingdom. Rewards are what you have done. It's the reward based upon what you have done for Christ. Revelation chapter 22, this is the last chapter of the Bible. Verse 12, And behold, I come quickly... And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. So Jesus is saying, Revelation, I come quickly. And perhaps we're thinking here today, but it's been 2000 years and he still hasn't come. That's not quick. Oh, yes, it is. Remember, for God, a thousand years is one day. He's only been ascended into heaven for two days. A lot of times we plan a week, a month, even a year in advance. we were planning something in two days, say on Tuesday night for dinner or Wednesday, and we had to get prepared for that, that would seem like it was coming very quickly, especially if we had a lot of guests. Jesus is coming quickly, and it could be today. Now let's go back to the text verse. This is perhaps the most interesting verse of the day. This is Jesus speaking to his apostles and there's a great setting of people. Many people are listening to this. And he says, Verily I say unto you, There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Theologians through the centuries have looked at this and they've tried to come up with reasoning If somebody's standing there and they will not taste of death, they will not die until the Lord comes in his glory, well, it's been 2,000 years. Generation after generation has died. How do you explain this? Well, John Gill tries to explain it. He's a great theologian. By saying that Pentecost Sunday, which was about six months down the road from when Jesus spoke this, that those people saw The Lord coming. But He didn't come with His angels. He didn't come with His saints. He didn't reward everybody at the Pentecost. That was just the beginning of the church. There's a position on eschatology, which is a study of end times, called Preterist. And they hold that all of the things that we look to in the book of Revelation have already been completed. Well, we know that that's not true. Again, Where did Jesus come with his angels? And where are all the rewards? I was doing some research on this because it's kind of difficult to understand. And I was listening to a message from Charles Spurgeon. And as we would say in baseball terminology, he knocked it out of the park. Because he said, this doesn't deal with preterist position. It doesn't deal with Pentecost. And there's a third position that talks about the transfiguration. In fact, the next verse of chapter 17, it says that after six days the Lord took Peter, James, and John on a high mountain, and the Lord appeared to them, and he became transfigured. But this does not address that either. What Charles Spurgeon said is that they will not taste of death refers to the second death. That these people that are lost, the woe is upon them. Their bodies are in the grave. Their soul is in hell. And when the Lord comes back in his glory, that's when they're going to be judged. And they will taste of death at that point. They will taste of the second death. And that's a great explanation of this verse. Let's look at some verses that tie this up today. Matthew Chapter 24, verse 34. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Well, when we say pass, we mean to die. And this generation that Jesus was preaching to in 34 AD, they have physically died, but they have not been judged. That generation which was sinful has not passed into the second death. Mark chapter 9, verse 1. There's two parallel passages to the passage that we're looking at in Matthew. And it's in Mark chapter 9 and in Luke chapter 9. And Mark 9 one says, And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. At the transfiguration of Christ, his kingdom didn't come in power. He went back down the hill, just a normal man. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 27. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Judas was one of the 12 apostles who's in hell today. He is one of these people that Jesus was speaking to. He did not taste of death and he was of that generation because he's not going to be judged until the great white throne. Revelation 20, verse 13 and 14. These are the people who will stand at that great white throne. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Remember, there's more people under the sea than buried in graves because before Noah's flood the earth was populated with billions of people. They're under the sea. Their bodies will come out of the sea. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's what Jesus was speaking of when he said they will not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then the last verse today, Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That is the end result of leading a sinful life and rejecting Christ and his call to us. God shed his grace upon all of us. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. But many people reject His grace. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And yet people every day, right here in Lynchburg, reject God's grace. And perhaps today you are not saved. Do you know today can be your day of salvation? It's never too late. Boast not thyself of tomorrow because you don't know what a day will bring forth. Today is the day of salvation let's pray father we thank you for your word these are beautiful passages in the parallel passages for Mark and Luke thank you for your word that it instructs us and it leads us Jesus we thank you for going to the cross and being faithful to the will of your father and Lord if there's somebody here in our building today in our midst, who is not saved that today would be their day of salvation and also Lord perhaps somebody listening has not been saved, has not received you, has not submitted to your will, has not claimed your deity over their life, that today would be the day that they would get saved and submit to you. And Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit living with us today. Guide us this week. Draw us closer to you, Lord. And as we go out, be our armor against the evils and the wiles of the devil. We ask all of this in your name, Jesus. We love you, God. Amen. And you are dismissed. Thank you.